0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're talking about the Persian King Darius I, also called Darius the Great. But no, this isn't a were-they-great episode. That will probably be told at another point. In Peter the Great's episode, I quickly went over his rise to power, but I also said I'd rather not do that in future episodes. Well. Luckily, Darius' origin story can be a full episode of the show, and it sure is a wild one. And, in fact, the story I'm telling comes right from the mouth of Darius himself. Well, actually a giant mural he had carved into the side of a cliff, but whatever. It's got all the highlights of a great story. Death, betrayal, a group of bros taking on bigger threats, open admissions of deception, identity theft, and a magician. Yeah, you heard that last one correctly. No, this isn't King Arthur or Lord of the Rings, but a story that predates both. It's a tale for the ages, and one I'm very surprised Hollywood has yet to take advantage of. Also, a quick behind-the-scenes glimpse, this is one of the stories, along with the pilot episode over the false Demetrius, that made me want to do this show. I really love it. So, without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the early 6th century BCE in the Persian Empire in Darius and the Kingslayers. Our story will take place in the empire of the Achaemenid Persians. The Achaemenids were a very powerful group that would end up conquering most of the Middle East and make a couple strong attempts at Greece. You know the Persians from the movie 300 and the episode I did over Pericles? That's the Achaemenids. The empire was founded in the mid-6th century BCE by Cyrus the Great, a figure of biblical proportions in terms of power, and I mean that quite literally. Cyrus is in the Jewish Tanakh, the Christian Bible, and the Quran. He was also considered by some Hebrews of the time to be the Messiah sent by God, under Cyrus, the Persian people went from a relatively small nomadic tribe to the rulers of that part of the globe. And that's about all you're getting about Cyrus for today. I mean, I've got to save info about him for the eventual episode I'll do. Darius ruled the Achaemenid Empire at the height of its territory. Its lands included modern-day Iran, which is where the Persians originally lived, Iraq, most of the northern section of the Middle East that includes Syria and Jordan, Turkey, the Caucasus region, parts of Central Asia, so those countries ending in Stan, the Balkans and southeastern Europe, and the recently acquired territory of northern Egypt and eastern Libya. At about 2.1 million square miles, this was the largest empire the world had seen at this point, easily beating the ancient Greeks until a man named Alexander from Macedonia came and conquered the Achaemenids. The rulers of the Achaemenid Empire had some pretty fancy titles to accompany their grand territory. The first was just the simple King of Persia. Once the empire got larger and they conquered their rival empire next door, an Achaemenid ruler could also claim the title King of Babylon. And after that, there was the Pharaoh of Egypt. The Achaemenids were rulers during the 27th and 31st dynasties of ancient Egypt. And now we get to the cool titles that most rulers of those great ancient empires of Mesopotamia used. First up is King of Countries, implying that the ruler of Persia was ruler of all nations under the sun. Next up is Great King, which is just nice to hear. It's always good to think your king is great, except not really because monarchies suck. And finally, we have the title King of Kings, It was a title that was probably introduced around a thousand years before Darius' time during the rule of the Assyrians, but the title soon became synonymous with the Achaemenid kings. The king above all other kings. The Jews would eventually add another king, so king of king of kings, to refer to God, and after Christianity started spreading, the title would be used to refer to Jesus. Now, let's change gears and talk about the Magi. The Magi, singular form of magus, was a term used for the priests of ancient Middle Eastern religions, especially Zoroastrianism, the religion of the Achaemenids and most other Persian empires until Islam became the state religion. The first use we can find of the term Magi comes from Darius himself, I'll get into that source later in the episode. The term magi then spread into Greek culture, mostly through the writings of Herodotus, to refer to either a tribe of the Medean people or a religious caste. It was in ancient Greece that the term began to take on a more, well, magical connotation. And of course, it's through that word we get the modern English words magic and magician. Also, I want to take a quick step away from the history lesson to talk about something else still related to magi. If you live in a predominantly Christian, English-speaking area, you might be familiar with the term magi referring to the three wise men from the New Testament who give gifts to baby Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, which was believed to have been written by someone who was probably living in a Jewish-Greek community, the author would have used the actual term magi. Why would he do that? Did he write that word meaning magician or sorcerer, as it had come to be known by that point in Greek, or as priests of a Middle Eastern religion? Because either the author of the Gospel of Matthew is claiming three wizards visited the baby Jesus, or that Jesus was born to connect multiple faiths. I think about this a lot. But that's enough of a theology lesson for today. We're here for the rise of Darius the Great. But before we get to one man's rise, we'll first have to learn about the death of the man who came before. Enter Cambyses II. Cambyses was the son of Cyrus the Great. And it's just Cambyses II. Just a regular dude sandwiched between Cyrus the Great, founder of the Empire and possible messiah, and Darius the Great the king who brought the Achaemenid Empire to its territorial heights. In fact, Cambyses is usually depicted as a cruel leader, one of those stereotypical mad kings of ancient times, though nowadays this is usually considered propaganda from the Persian elites who didn't like the son of Cyrus. He led the Persians in the conquest of Egypt and deposed the previous rulers to become the first Persian pharaoh. After having served as a governor in Babylonia for his father, Cyrus appointed Cambyses as his co-ruler in 530 BCE. Unfortunately, Cyrus would quickly go off on a military campaign where he was killed, leaving Cambyses as the sole ruler. From there on, in 525 BCE, Cambyses set out on his successful military campaigns to take over Egypt and Libya. He also made further attempts to conquer lands in Ethiopia, but those plans failed. He continued ruling in Egypt for several years until, in 522 BCE, a rebellion rose up back east in Persia. Cambyses quickly set out to quell the uprising, but he would never make it back to his homeland. Along the way, he was injured. Most accounts say he was wounded in the thigh, which then developed into gangrene. Cambyses didn't recover from the wound and would soon die. There's a whole larger part to this story that makes it sound like an Egyptian curse, but that's not the story I'm telling now. Basically, Cambyses killed a sacred Egyptian bull by cutting its thigh. The uprising in Persia ended with Cambyses' younger brother, Bardia, ascending as the new king of kings. There's just one problem with this. You see, according to Darius, Cambyses had had his younger brother killed before he set out to conquer Egypt. How was a dead man the new king of Persia? I bet you're wondering where this story goes next, but that will have to wait for just a moment. Now that we have the build-up to Darius' story, it's time we get his full backstory it's kind of like how people say the best way to watch star wars is a new hope then the empire strikes back then the prequels to get anakin's backstory before you finish up with return of the jedi yes i am saying this podcast is as good as star wars fight me did you see episode 9 moving on darius was born in 550 bce to a man named fish more commonly known by the greek version of his name Histaspes there aren't any confirmations on who his mother was. Vishtaspa was possibly a relative of Osiris the Great, but that's also unconfirmed. We know he served as satrap, the Achaemenid term for a governor, of Persis, a region in southwest Iran, and Bactria, a region along the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. He served in this role under Cambyses, but it's possible he also served as a satrap under Cyrus as well. In 530, when Cyrus was on his military campaign that would result in his death, Vishtaspa was originally supposed to be by the king's side. However, Cyrus allegedly had a dream that he took as a vision depicting Darius ruling the entire world. Well, at this time Cambyses was heir to the throne and Darius was mostly a nobody. Cyrus took this prophetic dream as a sign of Darius, at this time only 20 years old, formulating plans to usurp the role of emperor. Cyrus then sent Vishtaspa back to Persia to make sure his son didn't get up to any treasonous activities. Under the reign of Cambyses, and after proving that he apparently did not have any desires to usurp the throne, Darius served as the king's personal spearman during the conquest of Egypt. He was also apparently one of the few people that Cambyses told about the whole brother-killing affair. So after Cambyses died from gangrene and someone claiming to be Bardia took the throne, Darius knew it was his job as the right-hand man of the former king to put down this faker. His name was Galmato the Magus, from the tribe of the Medeans, a neighbor of the Persians that Cyrus had conquered. And by Magus, I do mean a priest and not a sorcerer. I know, I'm bummed too. I really wanted to just pretend he was magical. My working title for this episode was, That Time Darius Killed a Wizard. Anyways, Gaomara found out about Cambyses' flirtation with fratricide, and decided to take on the role of Bardia due to him looking very similar to the dead prince. And as a quick step outside of the story, a lot of sources will also give the Greek name for Bardia, which is Smerdis. These sources say that Gaumata's name was also Smerdis. I will never be using that name because that wasn't the prince's name. But if you ever see something talking about Smerdis, it's referring to Bardia. And on that note, their names were not actually Cyrus, Cambyses, and Darius but Kurush, Kabugia, and Derevayahus, respectively. According to Darius, Galmato was the one who started the rebellion in Persia that caused Cambyses to leave Egypt. Cambyses tried to get word out that the Bardia leading the rebellion was a faker, but no one believed him due to there being little love for Cambyses back in the eastern portions of the empire. Once word arrived on the home front that the king had died, Gaumata Bardia was officially placed on the throne as king of kings. And from now on, just to simplify things, I'm going to just call him Bardia. In order to fully secure his rule, Bardia marries Fedimi, one of the wives of Cambyses. And for some amount of time, not a very long time because he only rules for about seven months, things seem to go in his favor. However, possibly starting to believe that the recently deceased king was correct, Utana, the father of Fedimi, asks his daughter a question. You see, according to the story, the fake Bardia had his ear cut off by Cyrus the Great after committing some crime or another. Somehow, Fedimi's father comes up with Galmara being the man who is pretending to be Bardia. So, Utana asks his daughter to check if her husband is missing an ear. How would no one have noticed this earlier? I don't know, that's not told in the story. Listen, the first episode of the show is about a guy who pulled the same trick and got away with it. History can be crazy sometimes. But anyways, Fedimi agrees to inspect her husband's head for a missing ear. And, lo and behold, this man claiming to be Bardia is missing an ear. Now with the knowledge that this Bardia can't possibly be the king, Utana assembles an Avengers style lineup of nobles loyal to the Achaemenid household to take down the Faker. And I'm gonna use a mixture of the Greek and Persian names here because multiple sources list different names, and some of the Persian ones are harder for me to pronounce. The lineup goes as follows, Intaphrenes, Gobrius, Vidarna, Megabysis, and Aspikana. Now you may be noticing a very important name missing from that list. Yeah, Darius wasn't included in the original squad. But luckily, before the group banded together to strike, Darius approached them and was given a spot on the Let's Kill the Faker team. In September of 522, the group decided to strike. Some sources say Galmaras' fortress was in Sigavyao others say Susa. Both are locations in the land of the Medeans that had been conquered by Persia. Utana was the one who snuck the other six into Bardia's fortress. And this isn't some grand military campaign with hundreds or thousands of soldiers. No, this is an ancient Persian version of SEAL Team 6 infiltrating the castle on an assassination mission. It's like Metal Gear Solid, but with a slightly more cohesive plot. This Persian Mission Impossible ended with the false king dead. Darius is usually portrayed as the one who actually killed Bardia. Hooray! Quick and easy. And everyone else lived. But that left a big question to be answered. What now? The king was dead with no heirs. Who got to sit on the throne? Would there even be a throne? According to the historian Herodotus, who I'll get into later, there would end up being three suggestions for where to next take the empire. Utana offers up the suggestion of something akin to the Athenian style of democracy. Everyone gets a vote. Not everyone, but those that would be deemed okay to vote, so the men who weren't slaves. Megabysis suggested forming an oligarchy, so a small group would be chosen to lead. Usually, oligarchies don't end up working out too well and result in the rich becoming that small group who leads everyone else. Darius then came up with the great idea of, hey, why don't we just keep things the same? Darius's supposed thought process was that having more than one person in power creates corruption, because apparently having one person in power means that person can't become corrupt? Makes no sense to me either. Apparently it made sense to the other six freedom fighters, though. But that still left the question, who would be the new King of Kings? The group decided to hold a contest. Utana decided to abstain from putting his name in the hat for future King of Kings, leaving just six contenders. This very cool, very fair, and totally comprehensible contest was as follows. The six men would bring their horses outside of the palace and wait on them until sunrise. The man's horse who neighed first to acknowledge the sunrise would be deemed the winner and crowned king. Like I said, very fair and totally comprehensible. Well, Darius really wanted to win this contest, so he had one of his slaves, who Herodotus names as Oebaris, help him out. Oebaris proceeded to rub his hands on the genitals of a female horse, which... You know, sure, why not? Once the men were gathered on their horses, Oobaris placed his hands near the nose of Darius's horse. Getting excited from the scent of the backside of a female horse, Darius's steed neighed. This was followed by a bolt of lightning and the clap of thunder. Taking this as divine providence, the other five men quickly dismounted and bowed before the new king. Yes, Darius cheated his way into becoming king. And in fact, he openly admitted to cheating to become king. He had a statue built of himself riding that horse with an inscription stating Darius, son of Vishtaspa, obtained the sovereignty of Persia by the sagacity of his horse and the ingenious contrivance of Oabaris, his groom. And the people just accepted this. said we got this story from Darius himself? Well, after he was crowned king, Darius had a massive monument built to himself. It's called the Behistun inscription. It's about 50 feet tall and 80 feet wide, sitting up about 330 feet on a mountain near the present-day city of Shah, Iran. It's believed this was at a road that connected the capitals of Babylonia and Medea, the city of Babylon being the new Persian capital and the Medeans being the conquered tribe Fake Bardia hailed from. The Behistun inscription depicts Darius crushing the Fake Bardia under the heel of his foot while standing before the people the Persians had conquered. Around that image are inscriptions telling Darius' grand tale, written in three different languages, Old Persian, Elamite the language of one of the conquered tribes of Persia and Babylonian. All of these were written in cuneiform, a writing system used throughout ancient Mesopotamia. And fun fact, the Behistun inscription is often considered the equivalent of the Rosetta Stone when it comes to deciphering cuneiform. That's because Old Persian was something historians knew how to translate, but all the other languages using it had been a mystery. But back to the topic of Darius. Our glorious cheater is now on the throne, and he's gladly shared his story for all to hear. There's just one small, minuscule, teensy tiny problem about all of this it's all based on a lie. Okay, yes, I have spent much of the past episode telling you a story that is widely considered to be false. But I didn't make it up just for this. No, that is in fact the story Darius spread about his rise to power. After killing Bardia, Darius claimed that the man was in fact the Megaskelmata. And everyone ruled with it. I mean, he's the new king with very powerful people supporting him. What were the people going to do? So what's the truth? Well, it's a bit hard to say what the actual truth of it all is. It's generally considered that there was no Gaomara, no stolen identities or other fun elements like that. So let's start at the beginning all over again. Cambyses was considered a cruel man and was not as well respected as his father. Sure enough, there would have been rebellions against his rule. Here's the first lie of the story. Cambyses almost assuredly did not kill his brother. When Cyrus's two sons were grown up, he made Cambyses the governor of Babylonian, a cultural hotspot in the new capital of the empire. Meanwhile, Bardia was made governor of an Achaemenid provinces on the eastern edge of the empire, a much less exciting region of the world for the Achaemenid nobility. Now I can see one of two paths being taken here. One, Bardia gets fed up with his less exciting political career and leads a rebellion against his brother. Or two, a rebellion begins and the rebels choose Bardia as their leader because they think he would be a better leader. Cambyses, doing his kingly duty to make peace in his kingdom, rode back from Egypt to suppress the rebels. And yes, he did die on the way there. There are many theories on his death, ranging from it being a battle wound, just an accident, or even an assassination attempt by Darius. Any which way you choose, Cambyses dies, and his brother is crowned the ruler. I'm not entirely sure where the story of Bardia being killed or replaced by Galmada began. If Cambyses wasn't assassinated by Darius, then I could see the rumor starting with the dying king because he didn't want his brother as ruler. Otherwise, it's a story made up by Darius. A lot of this fake story is also hard to follow because so many different versions of it have been told over time by countless classical historians. We do know that Darius was telling this story after he was crowned king. An inscription on the Behistun inscription reads, This is Galmada the Magian. He lied saying, I am Bardia, the son of Cyrus. I am king. But all of this then begs the question, Did the other conspirators and members of Call of Duty Persian Black Ops know that they were killing the actual son of Cyrus? Did SEAL Team Darius actually happen? Most of those men ended up as high-ranking officials within Darius' court. Was that all just a story to explain why they were chosen? And that goes for the horse story, too. To quote Daniel Craig in Knives Out, it makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. So stripping away all the lies, we are left with the story of a man who killed his king in order to climb the political ladder. If that story is true about Cyrus having a dream that one day Darius would make a grab at the throne of the Achaemenid Empire, he had no idea how right he was. He was made a prophet just a little too soon. (laughs) Despite it all being a fabrication, this story is still widely spread when it comes to the ascension of Darius the Great. But why is that? Well, I think it's about time I talk very briefly about a man named Herodotus. He is the father of history, not in that he invented the idea of writing down historical events, but in that he actually went out on a mission to collect stories from across the ancient Greek world. The historical topics he wrote about dated back from about a couple thousand years before he was alive, which was in the 5th century BCE, to events from his childhood. A lot of the major topics Herodotus wrote about were Greco-Persian relationships. When I eventually do an episode about King Leonidas of Sparta and Xerxes, Herodotus' writings will play a major role in that. As that goes, he obviously wrote a lot about the Achaemenid Empire. That's also why you'll see a lot of Persian names translated into Greek, like I pointed out throughout this episode. But here's the thing that Herodotus gets a lot of criticism for. His process for historical learning was by just going around to different parts of the world and asking locals about their histories. Because of this, there are a lot of things that are hearsay or just straight-up fictional accounts. Like, he talks about animals that just don't exist, and also wrote about several pharaohs that have no historical basis. And, yes, while that is bad when you're trying to write historical fact, modern historians and archaeologists have actually proven a lot of his writings to be true. Unfortunately, not many people outside of historical learning circles know that. I cannot tell you how many times I've read stuff on social media that says something like, you can't trust anything from ancient Greek history because it was all written by Herodotus and he's a liar. Like, that's just not true. But I've rambled on about this topic for long enough. Back to the point. Most of our knowledge about the Achaemenids, at least throughout most of the history of the Western world, comes from Herodotus, and he wrote down what sounded exciting can you blame him? I mean, yes, kinda, but it was in the 5th century BCE. He didn't have the internet to fact check his stories. I still hope one day for the big summer blockbuster that is Darius' ascension as told by the man himself, but hopefully you enjoyed learning both the fact and fiction of his story. And this whole episode goes to show you just how far through history a lie can persist. Do your own bit of research instead of just trusting a single source. We'll return to the Achaemenids at a later date. They played too grand of a role in ancient history for this to be the only episode i do about one of their leaders. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're taking a small jump to the West and going about 2,000 years into the future from Darius' rule to cover another man with a stunning epithet. More than great, more than grand. It's finally time we covered a ruler of the Ottoman Empire with the story of Suleiman the Magnificent.